to have the same mindset that you need to be a tester because a software engineer has to have that same, what could go wrong? You know, I've, I've carried a pager for 20 years. I guarantee you, I can think like a tester. There's nothing that gives you a quality mindset like not having to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the AB Testing Podcast. Happy New Year. I am here. I'm Alan. We have Brent. Hello. Brent, hi. Hello. And we also have Brian Finster. Brian, say hi. Hi. I'm Brian. I am excited to have you here for a bunch of reasons that will emerge. What I want to do first is give a little context on why Brian's here. This is both for our listeners who may not have seen. We talk about you on our Slack. If you want to go to join our Slack group, you can go to moderntesting.org, click on the link, join right away. We've talked a little bit about some of your LinkedIn posts. Good stuff. We're not talking dirty behind your back or anything. But I, I imagine Brian being much more of an internet celebrity than Brent and our three listeners. There's people coming to listen to our podcast going, why is Brian hanging out with these two half-baked people trying to make a podcast for eight years? Dude, so, I'm, I'm um, seriously half-baked. I don't understand. Yeah, okay. So between, <laughs> us, between all of us, we are one and a half-baked. And this is also context for you, Brian, to know, like, why did these guys invite me here? So once upon a time, about eight years ago, uh, Brent and I were both in testing roles at Microsoft. I led a few cross-company test-related groups, and Brent and I had such a good rapport in there, and we've been giving each other crap like this now going on 10 years that someone, I think it was Michael Hunter, said, you I think it's longer start a than podcast. What was that, Brent? It's been longer than 10 years. It's the, I, oh. I, I met you when I joined the TLT, right? So it's been longer than that. That was the test leadership team at Microsoft. Yeah. And I'm going to assume it's the same for all of you. I have now lost my ability to track how many years have gone by. There was a blurry few years in there that are still blurry. But anyway, we started a podcast. And we're going to figure this out as we go. And we talked about doing a podcast. But one thing happened very early on as we... Very early on, the conversation shifted to something prominent, and it was that Brent and I were both seeing that software delivery was changing. It was changing definitely before then, but Microsoft is usually the last to know about changes and how software is made. Um, dude, um, I, I came from Walmart, so. <laughs> <laughs> there is the clip that goes on the beginning. Dude, I came from Walmart. So, uh we saw this world where fast feedback loops wouldn't need armies of testers because they were, they would get in the way mm -hmm. and they could, we, we could reach higher quality by focusing on feedback loops, data and adaptability. So we talked about that because we were seeing it. We weren't trying to invent anything. We were talking about what we were seeing. So we talked about that on the podcast with the goal of helping testers navigate these changes that were going on because things are changing. Things are still changing in some ways. Things are still the same. They're a little bit different. Fast forward a bit, we came up with these modern testing principles, which were the idea was to try and like, what are the principles behind what we've been talking about for a few years now? And they're, they're not modern and they're not about testing, but we wrote them as sort of the, not the antidote, but the, the growth, like traditional test as a gatekeeper type of testing to modern testing where things are different. They're really modern delivery, but we're keeping them, we still call them the modern testing principle. We, we if I may interject, we call yeah. them that mostly um, because to, to resonate with the audience we were trying to target, we saw marketing, too many. Marketing is super important. I mean, you have to do that. Yeah, yeah. In, in Alan's story, all of that is true. One of the things though, that at least I experienced, so I spent a good amount of, amount of my career uh, in middle management in QA. Uh, and Alan, very similarly, he, while he was at Microsoft, he avoided management, but he he still had very high-scoped roles with, with large reach, large impact. And so when we both uh, started talking while, while he was still at Microsoft, and this was before Microsoft did his big switch when uh, to, to sort of dramatically reduce the number of testers, 
we both had had at that point in time experienced around, oh, this is what happens. This is why this works. Because back then, Agile was was like crazy sauce, right? They're like, what? Do things without a 100-page document? That's crazy. <laughs> Alan and I were not only – not only did we see – that it was coming, but at that point in time, we were one of the few that wholeheartedly defended that that is the way we should be going. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't know about Alan. He's far more charismatic than I am. But it, it did, uh, it did uh, cause some sacrifice to some friendships uh, <laughs> on that front. What you're deserting? How can you, traitor? <laughs> exactly. And based on based on uh, LinkedIn comments, I'm guessing Brian that that is a phenomenon you're familiar with. I, I did give Brent some pre-reading to, yeah. to kind of get familiar. You know, with uh, so this is interesting because I I really want to talk about the history about how I came came to this. You know, yeah. because I've been a software developer doing product development since 1996. You know, I've been I've been doing it for a while. Honestly did it the way that I know a lot of people still do it, which is I code something and then I go and manually test it and I go deploy it and hope it doesn't blow up for years and years and years. You know, if you, and this before I, before I worked at Walmart, but you know, Walmart, we went through a whole bunch of agile transformations as one does, which right after they sent us to PMI training, by the way, which was really interesting. You know, I, I was one test away from being a project manager, like fully certified by PMI. But we got to the point where we'd stabilized. I was, so I worked in logistics at the time, and I was working in warehouse management systems. And, you know, the, the primary system I worked on was, I mean, oh, my God, it made windows look small, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's, it's just a nightmare of old. It was like four different warehouse management systems all banged together with a common database that we'd applied after this modernization <laughs> effort. Um, but we were delivering that thing almost four times a year. Now, this is also a period of time when Walmart was going through a lot of acquisitions. So we're getting a lot of other markets, you know, South Africa and Central America and all these, all these different markets. And, you know, we need them to be on a common logistics system we don't want to be integrating all their legacy logistics systems. And, you know, we're delivering change every three to four times a year. We did a, a value stream map one time, and it was it took us 12 months from a business request to deliver it to production, right? I mean, it was a nightmare. And every single time we did a deploy, now, so at the, the time, so I'm talking about when we're just at the cusp of doing things correctly, they put me in charge of the team responsible for integrating all of the feature branches every quarter for the quarterly release. Right. And I talked that to That sounds people. like a fun job. It was a fun job. Now they, it was, it was very entertaining. They, now they gave me this job because I've been really looking into how other organizations have been doing source management. And I, I thought we could do it better. And they gave me the mandate of making the team obsolete, making the team go away. Right. So it was an improvement effort. And I was like, I, I'm all over that. I don't want to sit here and, you know, let's make things better. And I, t- I talked to Gene Kim about this after when he, he sent me a draft of the Unicorn Project. And he was talking about Merge Day for the Phoenix Project. It was like 350 branches. So I was like, that's nothing. <laughs> Hold my beer. Wait, 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 wait. Brian, are you the real Brent? No. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. But I am the sad sucker that had to integrate 400 branches every quarter, you know. And so you integrate 400 plus branches every quarter. And, uh, you know, then you deal with the merge conflicts and then you're six weeks late. And then you go and deploy and you've got scheduled war rooms for like scheduled Here's the schedule for the next week. Who's going to be working which part of the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week shift to support and stabilize the system after this delivery for just the initial part of the stabilization, okay? Um, so, I, I mean, I it's just a, a nightmare, and it was just normal, right? I mean, it's not a nightmare because that's just how you work. And then SVP said, hey, look, um, 
we need to do this every two weeks because we can't meet our business goals by delivering this slowly. And so what did they do? Of course, what they did was they hired McKinsey and Bain and brought in, no, 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 no. Actually, Randy, Randy, the SVP at the time, Randy Sally, love that guy, still have beer with him. Randy presented this as an engineering problem to us senior engineers in, in logistics and said, hey, I need you to fix this, right? So one of my teammates got a copy of Continuous Delivery. We read it. We knew about Conway's Law. We, uh, I, I read like the, the domain-driven design for dummies. Um, and we put together a plan for leadership about how we can go to more frequent delivery. And in fact, when Patrick and I were working through this, we had a, there was a project manager assigned to this project. And Patrick and I said, okay, look, um, we think that every two weeks isn't aggressive enough. We need to go for daily. If we go for daily, we might go for weekly. If we go for every two weeks, we might get hit every month. So let's go for daily. And the project manager said, well, they asked for every two weeks. We're like, well, we don't care. We're going for daily. So well, I quit. If you guys are going to do that, it's like, we don't need you because we're doing this for two decades. <laughs> we're fine on our own things. And we drove for daily. But just so, but imagine the situation we're in. We are a bunch of developers who we have a QA area who's been doing all the testing for us, mostly manual. None of the developers in the area actually know how to test at all. Okay. We're now going to go for daily production delivery. So today's code goes to production today. That was our goal. Now we had an ops area too, because they'd gone through the whole matrix organization fad and split off support from from development where we used to run what we brung. They pulled that away for developer productivity, which of course <laughs> just destroyed quality even further. But they, the ops um, SLA was that you had to be stable for 90 days before they'd take it over. But we're delivering every single day, so we'll never get it to them. So that means we're going to get ops back, which made me incredibly happy, honestly. I wanted ops back. But that also means we're going to be delivering untested code every single day to production. No, that won't work. So we have to dig into testing. And so I started taking testing very, very seriously. And I started working through this problem, just going backwards from, I need to deploy every single day. It has to be validated that it's ready for production every single day. The way all this testing is being done right now will not work. So we have to reinvent all of testing. I had to get the QA lead that was assigned to us on board. We had to, as the pilot teams, learn how to test from scratch. I've got a copy of XUnit test patterns. It was like 900 pages long. I was pouring through that. I was pouring through everything I can find. I, I, I was interviewing developers about why they were struggling with testing. It was like, oh, well, because the requirements are crap. So I discovered, I you know, found behavior-driven development. We learned to do that, right? So we could get clean requirements so that we would know what to test. So, you know, and we were doing all this upfront work so that we could write tested code do real continuous integration and push testing code to production. You know, and, and so this, what the, my takeaway from this journey was that continuous delivery is a quality initiative that it stress tests your quality process and that you must focus on quality. If you're going to be good at this um, later on, I went to, the lady who used to be my senior director, she moved to be the senior director of QE because they rebranded QA to QE and told her she needed to hire me to drive CD across the organization because CD was a quality initiative, not a development initiative, right? And ever since then, test architecture, the how do I get from idea to production uh, with fewer handoffs, fewer re less rework, faster feedback at every single step. You know, there was a uh, early on in this process, QA put on this whole quality conference, and I was one of the keynote speakers, not in QA. You know, talking about how testing you test everything, you test meetings. You don't go to a meeting unless you have an agenda that you can assert against. That's an interesting angle, right? I was like. It's like, if you don't have an agenda for a meeting, don't show up because you have nothing to assert against to find out if you got value from the meeting. I said, that we're testing for value, not for adherence to spec. 
<laughs> yes. Right? So much yes. Right? I mean, and, and, <laughs> you know, the, and people say, well, it's like, well, yeah, but how do you test the test? You don't, you ship it. The test the test is prod. You don't. That's how you test the test. You don't. I love that phrase. I'm writing it down. You test for value. It, you know, I, I wrote a blog post recently called The Three Wrongs, right? And this is something I, 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 you know, just like an epiphany I had several years ago that the whole, the reason for all this agile nonsense is everything is wrong all the time. The problem with classic testing process where you have product owner or BA or somebody creating requirements, handing them to the development team and then handing them to a testing team to automate the tests or do manual testing is that it's missing the foundational principle that the requirements probably wrong in the first place. And on top of that, we're going to misunderstand them because of the handoff. And then when you hand them to a development team and a testing team, you double the chance of misunderstanding. And I've measured this in real life on development teams with value stream maps and interviews when we were, when I was running the dojo at Walmart. I've seen this in reality where the testing team misunderstood the requirements differently from the product team. And they both misunderstood the requirements from what the product owner meant. And the product owner actually misunderstood the need. And I've documented that in value stream maps. Now, I think it's Crosby. This I think it's Crosby. Now I'm, now I'm second guessing myself. Who said quality is conformance to requirements. And I've modified that before you cringe and go, mm. I, said, <laughs> I, I believe it. It's true. Quality is conformance to requirements, but only the customer can define requirements. I gave it, there was a talk. Oh, even further, the customers, customer themselves may not actually know the requirements. No, they don't until they see no. it and then they can edit it. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, there's a talk I used to give. So the, the last role I held at Walmart was I led the DevOps studio at Walmart. And our job was to, we were using continuous delivery as a forcing function to improve engineering excellence and business delivery across the organization. We were building a platform that was optimized for that. Uh, if you weren't using a CD workflow, the platform was hard. It fought you on purpose. Like, we need GitFlow. Yeah, no, GitFlow is not on our roadmap. <laughs> and I, I was asked to, to create a dojo where you use immersive learning to help teams learn continuous delivery. We're like hands-on. We join your team as engineers, not freaking agile coaches, uh, and pair with you while you learn CD in your context with your work. And I used to give these talks about testing. And the, one of the talks I gave about testing, I always started off with this definition of quality. And I had a, an image of the 2017 MacBook Pro. Now, do you guys remember the 2017 MacBook Pro? Oh, that's the one with the touch bar. They added the touch bar. They removed the escape key. They removed yep. MagSafe charging. They removed all the ports and, add, and just used USB-C. It was the highest quality piece of crap you could buy. And I had a picture of this and I was talking about how I'm a photographer. They took away my SD card reader. So now I have to have a dongle for an SD card reader. I have dogs, large dogs. So they run past the coffee table, trip on the cord, right? <laughs> Rip the computer off the coffee table instead of just some MagSafe cable detaching. I'm a, I'm a software developer who focuses on Unix. I need my escape key. How am I going to get out of VI? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, when that computer came out, I bought a refurbished, uh, my personal machine, I bought a, I needed a new one. I bought a, a, a refurbished 2016 instead of a new 2017 because it was garbage. And then I was talking, I said, this is what quality means. Quality means it meets the user's need, not that it, not that it meets the spec. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole other thing about why I don't do that. But, uh, but I mean, but this is the core fundamental thing is that, is that everything we do is wrong until we can get it to in front of the end user and find out what's wrong so that we can adjust. And that the reason I focus so hard on continuous delivery is because of the joy that we felt when we were able to deliver multiple times a day to the end user, get feedback directly from that end user, adjust, 
give them feedback the next day. They were happy. We were happy. Morale was high. Quality was high. Everybody should work that way. But it requires rethinking all the things that you think you know are true. Yeah, a, a million percent, yes. Every once in a while, I join a new team and somebody doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And I remember at my last company, I joined the new team. We we're talking about delivery. And I, and I, to, I said, I would rather ship 10 times a day than once a week. And the SVP, just I don't get why you would say that. Okay, <laughs> just, let's, let's, it's fine. It's fine. We'll are revisit. Users, I'm not going to go it, into it. But I, but I convinced him. It, it took me a few years, but he was on board. It, 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 it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah. Now, well, you get terrified of size, right? Once you do it, you get ter- It's like, what do you mean 500 lines of code? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Well, so part of it is like in the transformation. And I think you're right. Right. The, <clears throat> in my own journey, on on shifting to agile like for me um i i've told this multiple times on the podcast but i'll do it i'll do the short version for brian right everyone else can press the skip 30 (laughs) i went to i went to scrum we executed it poorly a two-week scrum ended up taking three months for us to unscrew up right we and then we shifted to a Kanban model where basically a small little thing ships independently. And in order to execute that, you had to make certain changes, right? You, you, you had to make smaller changes. You had to cover the entire test suite, or, uh, as, uh, as you called out just a second ago. But where the magic went in is one day one of my people – submitted something, and everything was on the floor. Now, that sounds like a bad story. However, because it was just one change that went in that put everything on the floor, it took seconds for us to back it out, took seconds for us to repair it. The guy knew instantly what he did wrong and and, and get it out. I had to multiple times go forward and try to do the same conversations you did. And that Alan just talked about convincing others to, to take the risk on my team. We're going to execute this way. Uh, and, and to your point, this is the point I resonate with when they think, Oh, we're going to ship once a week. They have this size in their head. Mm-hmm. And then when we say we're going to do it 10 times a day, they they don't they don't automatically shift that size in their head. How the hell are you going to do that ten times a day? It, well, it's actually we're not. We're shifting to small batch. Yeah, and it takes and, it takes a lot of practice, it, you know. And I've been having for the last couple of days, I've been having some really intense discussions with people who are trying to redefine continuous integration so they can feel better about not doing it. <laughs> and um, but here's the thing. Okay, is that that driving down that batch size is not the goal. It's the forcing function to the goal. Yes. Okay. And I'll I'll give you another example um, that you reminded me of uh, is that of something saving our ass because we took CD seriously. Okay. I had uh, the when we'd been going on for a while, and one of the other teams had been focusing on working this way, and I had a direct dependency on them. They were the they were my downstream service that I needed a lot of information from. I worked very closely with the tech lead. Uh, We were doing contract driven development. Anytime we needed a a contract, anytime we needed a change between the two of us, we were coordinating through our contracts. We could deploy independently because that was the other thing. We put rules in place when we started this. Every team delivers in any sequence asynchronously from anybody else, which meant we had to focus on really good API management. Well, there was a test that we had to run where we would, and this is logistics, we get a purchase order come in, it would process through their system, and then we would do something to validate that we were actually could receive freight and create inventory, and that was the test. Took four hours to run that test. I can't do CD that way, and so it's it's Walmart. Um, we didn't have a lot of external information. Walmart's very inwardly facing. We independently invented virtual services. We submitted a pull request to my 
colleague's team to give them a contract mock of their API and then created a process where we would send a test mess, a test header, and they would get, they would serve the mock instead of actually hitting their actual logic. And so now this integration test between the two teams went from four hours to microseconds. So the but you, wait, but but Brian, you're testing the mock. Yep. We also okay. get contract tests to test the mock against the actual response, so that we could validate the mock. Anytime you're doing a contract test, uh, so when you're doing integration tests with mocks, you also have to have a contract test to validate the mock. Sure. Right. So we we did both. Okay. Um, but the result of that though, is that they made it when we were going live in the distribution center and they had us in a distribution center with really terrible network latency and all sorts of other problems, because of course they did. We were, we were going live and we were making changes rapidly as, because there's always the things that you didn't know about until you actually try to use the system for real. They broke their contract and we discovered it instantly when we ran our tests the next time before anything deployed and before anything could have broken anything in production because they're just, it just broke the test immediately. Right. But the only reason that that test existed that way is because you can't do CD with the way we were doing integration testing before. Right. Right, it's the driving down, the focusing on speed of feedback, driving down that batch size forces you to solve these problems, mm-hmm. and it makes you safer. It removes drama. It makes the work suck less. <laughs> you, you know, um, this is something that I've started to do with my junior. So years ago. Uh, I shifted away from QA, went to dev, uh, and now, uh, and then a little after that, I, I became a data scientist, and now I actually run a sort of a dev team that's producing data science-driven services. Okay. Um, one of the things that, uh, that energizes your ICs is closing the loop between the customer value proposition and their actual work. Oh, dude, dude. So I, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I gave a talk with a, with my teammate in 2017 at DevOps Enterprise Summit because I'd, I'd gone to the conference the first time in 2015 and I saw all these executives talking about all these things we were doing and how it impacts the enterprise. I'm like, bullshit. How's an enterprise? We need to tell everybody how it impacts the teams. And we had a slide that talked about how it made us love development again. We were like a beating animated heart on the slide. You know, it just made us love development again because of that, because we got to see the, our work being used instantly. We got feedback. I talked to somebody at the conference that year who was a, a, a platform developer for Exxon. And he said, it seems like all the best developers go to platform because they can be closer to the customer. And I just moved to Walmart platform and the people I worked with, I was like, oh yeah, I agree. (laughs) That, that makes sense. Uh, People are motivated by progress. Yeah. And you know, Dan Pink, you've, you've gotten there, but one thing, if I can, I want to change just not even a change of gear, a a little bit of a veer here, your journey on discovering testing, Mm -hmm. I think is pretty unique. Um, but maybe not. I, I don't know. Like I see the pockets, like everything we're talking about, things we're seeing happen all over the place. But there's still a lot of people doing the old way. Mm-hmm. When I spent a chunk of my career teaching developers how to test and having very good luck with it and realizing that developers actually could be very good testers. Mm-hmm. And I tried to accelerate that via sometimes it was like on one project, I did a lot of it just by doing a whole lot of code reviews. And what I found is, one, developers can be very good testers, and two, not surprisingly, when developers knew testing was part of what they were delivering, they began to design better code in the first place because they started to think about testability as they were creating the code. Yeah. And they go, well, I'm going to test this. Like They would think ahead. Like you discovered, I mean, a lot of devs without 
may not think of that contract testing solution. Oh, that's amazing how I didn't know this exists. So as a curiosity, I'm curious kind of uh, one question is like, how did you discover some of the nuance? And then kind of the other end of that, I know you've written on LinkedIn a little bit about this before. I want you to talk about it a little bit, but there's this whole developers can't test thing, which we know is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of curious on why you think people think that as well. So first question, how did you get so good at testing? without a great coach like me. And two, <laughs> Brent unmuted himself just to laugh. Um, and, and, and then two, like, what do you think it'll take to get pe- get more people to figure out that devs can actually do really good testing? Uh, so, you know, I found mentors. Liz Keough has no idea who I am, okay? I have talked to her on Twitter occasionally. If I ever meet her, she gets so much beer or whiskey or whatever her favorite drink is because she was my behavior-driven development mentor. I consumed everything that she had to say about that. I went out and found people. Uh, uh, I, I'm splanking on the name, the guy who wrote Cucumber and Cheese. Um, I, I, you know, I was finding these resources out there. I found, you know, the X-Unit um, webpage, and I was pulling from that. It was my job to discover how we could do this and then to spread that knowledge because we had to solve the problem of continuous delivery. My Patrick, my colleague, he was working on the automation. I was working on how to use the automation. And so that was, I, I had to, it was, it was my eval, right? But, you know, and, and, and then also finding other people, you know, if you don't know how to test, we can't do CD. I needed everybody to do CD. Even before we, and this is why, right? It's be, even before we started using continuous delivery as an enterprise improvement strategy, I knew that if we didn't spread the disease of continuous delivery to other areas, it would be easy to kill. All it would do is take one leadership change at a low level, CD's dead, and we go back to the old terrible way of delivering the software. I didn't want that. And so I was going out to the, and so and you have to understand at the time, I didn't talk to people. I was, I'm, I'm an introvert, but I was an actively not talking to people introvert. But I needed this to happen for my quality of life, right? And so I was going out to other teams and explaining to them what we're doing in behavior-driven development. It's that I was giving presentations about it. Just, hey, you want to have a, What's your team to have a presentation with BDD? I was finding other people who were coming in from other organizations and who had to test, collaborating with them. Hey, let's, how do we do this better? Um, later on, when I moved to platform, we hired Villas Viergraven into platform uh, as the, he's, he was working at, in QA at Netflix. And I said, Villas, you're not my testing mentor. And bounced ideas hard and passed off of him and challenged, you know, I was like, I have this idea and he'd come up and I was like, that doesn't feel right to me. And I didn't just accept what Villa said, even though he was my mentor, I would challenge him because it just didn't seem to align with continuous delivery. And so I was steel on steel trying to get better at this stuff. It all came down to how do I deliver workable software every single day, right? It's just, how do I solve this problem? So there's a characteristic here that I'm going to sound briefly like I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but as a manager, there's a correlation. You don't. I'm sure someone studied. I'm. 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 uh... (laughs) Well, let let me just finish my thought because I think there's a correlation. Like there's a there's a curiosity and drive in you. Like you had, you could have gone to your manager and said, "We need to hire testers. We'll we'll just make them move faster or whatever." Or you could have said there were many ways you could have given up and gone a different path, Mm. but you didn't. And that curiosity to go discover, I think it's any knowledge work, being curious and wanting to learn more and continually trying to discover what you don't know and what you don't know, you don't know is absolutely a key to success. So there's a story in there as well. So full disclosure, when we were making the shift, we also changed tech stacks and the new tech stack I was not good at. And I was, uh, you know, it's very difficult to be a senior engineer where the thing that this tech stack you're senior at no longer exists in your area. 
you need to become an expert at something quick. <laughs> so I became an expert at how do we deliver better while I'm learning the new tech stack. Gotcha. I think w- way back when Brent and I were both in test and he was, I think, I think we were still doing like kind of old school tile testing, but not the gatekeeper. Brent came up with this mission, like, you know, testing's role is to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. And there's something there too. Like you, you wanted stuff to go faster for good reasons. And then, I don't know. I I think there's, I, I, I like the story there. Yeah. I mean, and, and, Going back to some of the core motivations I have, I've always, I'm, I've not been a developer who's, number one, software is not my hobby. Okay. I, I code because I need a tool. I have other hobbies, photographer, motorcycles, I build models. I, I don't, solve, I don't code for a hobby. I code to solve business problems. I care about the business problem. I, I push back really hard on developers who say our job is algorithms and data structures. Our job is to be business experts solving business problems with code. It's fascinating. Modern testing testing principle number one, our priority is improving the business. Yes. And everything, I talk to people, how do you get people to buy into continuous delivery? I don't. I get them to buy into how do we deliver better business value at lower costs with less variability and less drama. Right. You know, it's but, but Brian, I am a database expert and I don't care about all of that. I want to add the next feature to my database. Okay. We'll go work for a database company. <laughs> that's the right answer. That is, but you know, and then that's a valuable attitude to have. But, you know, going back to your question about why people think developers can't test, well, it's because they can't. Right. It's, it's not because, they, well, it's not because they can't, it's because they have no idea how, because you, What's the main entry point for software developing? It's a computer science degree. We don't need freaking computer scientists. We need software engineers. And that's a completely different thing. And so people go to university, they get a CS degree. They, they might be taught the basics of how to structure code. You know, they, they come into the workforce mostly illiterate. And then, and then we have to train them. And if they wind up in the wrong organization, they won't get taught how to test. And then they'll think that's just the right way to do it. And those organizations will have testing teams. And the testing teams will say, well, developers can't test. That's my job. Only I have the mindset to think about what could go wrong. Uh, right? <laughs> and it's like so apparently software is the only discipline where – only somebody other than the engineer doing the work of, of designing the thing can think about, you know, only somebody else can think about what can go wrong. I mean, that's, that's why we have QA teams looking at bridges to decide how that can go wrong while you have bridge engineers, you know, civil engineers only doing happy path, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that's... But they're not taught how to test. And, you know, you'll see me on LinkedIn having these heated discussions with people who I'm looking at it, they're looking at it, developers know how to test, only I have the skill, so I need to be the one testing and explaining to developers what they're doing wrong. Um, And it has to be an adversarial relationship because that's how quality is done. And I'm looking at going, I'm a value stream architect. You are a constraint in the value stream. That constraint's driving at batch size. The larger batch we deliver, the more wrong we are because the idea is fundamentally flawed in the first place. That can't work. You need to teach the developers how to test and you need to work on giving them better tools to get that done with. You need to (laughs) don't rent, right? You cannot be the person doing. If you're an expert, I value you for sharing your expertise and elevating others. If you try to implement your expertise, I hate your guts because you're harming my quality of life. We are on record absolutely in agreement. We view like Alan, what is our what's a synonym for specialist on this podcast? Bottleneck. <laughs> yeah, the, you, you're gumming up the works. You you are blocking the business from achieving its value. Absolutely. In, in the dojo, um, you know, the, the process we went through in the dojo, like I said, it was immersive learning. And we would go and work with the team for six weeks. 
it was not unusual for many of the teams to have either an external QA team testing their code independently or to have test automators on the team whose job was to write end-to-end tests. Uh, by the way, God damn it. BDD does not mean using Cucumber to write end-to-end tests after the coding is done. Okay. Jesus Christ. Uh, BDD, TDD does not mean anything test after coding is done. But what we would do is we go into the team. And and so we have to change the entire way this team works to go from the way they're working to continuous delivery. And we also could not have those testers doing what they were doing. People always thought that I hated test that I hate testers. They, I mean, I get accused of this all the time. I I elevate testers when we do this. We go in the team and say, "Look, what you're doing right now, not only is a constraint, but it's a waste of your talent." And whether they had the skill or not, we always granted them the skill because we knew that if we challenged them, that they would elevate or sort themselves out. Okay. You're the quality expert on the team. The team doesn't have the muscle built. You need to help them build the muscle. You need to be the coach for this and stop doing what you're doing now. Stop testing. Start being a quality engineer. Help these guys learn how to test better. Talk about test design. Share your knowledge. Share the mindset. Share how to think evil, evil ways. And... We had so many ex-test automators who were just massive fans of the dojo because we made their lives better because we gave them more important jobs. Oh, when I mentioned when I first went to dev, one of the things that Microsoft famously did is, is actually collapse the test team and every new dev team was part dev, part test. Yeah. Okay. What I actually found it was those old old test automators. It was a lot easier for them to start writing code, which felt like a reward to them. Mm-hmm. But they still kept they they out delivered all of the old school dev experts. Um, I'm not surprised. You know, we used to tell the the you know what we would tell those those test automators is like, hey, and if you get bored. Pick up a feature because that'll also give you a deeper insight into the challenges the developers are having with testing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. know, Java, pick up a feature. No, and and so this is this is the big problem though we have in the industry, and and why you know one of the, uh, Dave uh, <laughs> Dave Farley released Modern Software Engineering a few years ago, and uh, he sent me a pre-release of that book, and I started reading it. And I was like, oh my god, this 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 is the book. Because it explains to you what you're doing wrong as a software developer. It challenges you to be a software engineer, to take the job seriously, to apply engineering principles, to, to have the same mindset that you need to be a tester. Because a software engineer has to have that same, what could go wrong? You know, I've, I've carried a pager for 20 years. I guarantee you I can think like a tester. There's nothing that gives you a quality mindset like not having to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and well, once you realize it's in your control. But, but here, this is the other thing uh, because having a, it, it's not enough to have a quality, you know, a, a testing mindset and focus on quality if your feedback loops are truncated. Unfortunately, so many organizations design the system of delivery to make quality very, very hard to deliver. Okay, this this concept of run what you brung doesn't mean that that you own all of the infrastructure and everything to deliver your software. What it does mean is that if you build something, that when it breaks, you're the person responsible for fixing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is a primary, very important quality feedback loop. The, when, when we had an, an, a, you know, an ops team whose job it was to do level one, level two support, so many defects were getting hidden until they became emergencies. Where it could have been, if we'd found out about it early on, number one, we wouldn't have been, keep building on top of quicksand 
on top of something that's already unstable that they're patching together, not letting us know about. But we could have killed it, nipped it in the bud before we got very, very angry people yelling at us and, 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 and gotten better at our quality process up front. And so to anybody out there who's in leadership who thinks it's a great idea to have a support team support, uh, supporting software that a development team is writing, you're wrong. You're harming your customers. Stop it. Move ops into the team. Start a page of rotation. Create an L1 support team whose job it is is to do triage but not to fix anything and wake people up. Your quality will improve. Yeah, that's exactly what we did at my last company. We had eventually we got to a place where we had the L1 pagers and they took care of everything that had run books like no yeah. need to bug anybody. We'll work around the clock and just and, and we'll make sure you know stuff gets filed so it gets, it gets improved. Because a lot of the run book stuff is stuff that's just gonna go wrong. Yeah. Or and then just but yeah, but then does. people were, if something happened, they were brought in quickly and they owned it. And I, and mm-hmm. I love that. that. That's the way it, it's, to me, when, it's the way it should work. When when they went through this, they called it Project Harvest, by the way, this matrixing of the organization. We, we called it Project Reaper because it just absolutely destroyed our culture. Um, but when they did that, you'd have, you know, Number one, we had no way to train new developers on support because it was only L3 and it was only in the middle of the night because we never got day calls at all, ever. And number two, by the time we got on, instead of having somebody who was mildly annoyed because their job was kind of getting disrupted a little bit, we were an hour and a half into the problem. And now we're waking up, trying to orient to what the issue is, Probably have a VP on the line. Got a very angry person who, you know, in the UK or Mexico or someplace screaming at us. That's the best way to try to resolve an issue. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I've been, you remind me in your talk there, I've been about eight years ago or so, maybe nine years ago, sort of found myself into managing platform teams or whatever you want to call them, infrastructure teams. I don't like calling them DevOps teams, but you know what I'm talking. Yeah, about. please and, don't call them DevOps. Yeah, teams. I'm not going to. I'm just trying to appeal to the wider audience. But so what I found in doing that, like very early on, because I had spent so I've been in the industry 30 years. I spent 20 years in mostly in test related roles. Maybe the last year of that sort of more of a test coach, uh, a little bit of a dev in the middle. Anyway, uh, I realized six months into managing a platform team that. Oh my God, I have more control over quality in this role than I ever did at any time of my career because I was building tools to help make it easier for the developers to deliver as fast as they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I work in uh, for a company that does platform work for the government right now, and it's the, a really important job. I, I can't think of anything better for any developer to do than to work on platform if they take it seriously, if their role, if their goal is to help other developers live better lives. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I want to talk more about, we're almost out of time, but one thing I've noticed in in being in this role and then talking to folks in similar teams and other organizations is often this platform team is kind of treated like the ops team. Like they do the, they do the CI for another yeah, team. Yeah, it's like another, anti-pattern. Another anti-pattern. Don't do yeah. that. Yeah. They get, you gotta, you gotta build what you run or what do you say? Run what you rung. Run what you brung. Run what you brung. Yeah. I love that. And that's, I want to, that's it. I want to enable teams to do that. Should be the goal of that platform team. Yeah. I mean the platform at Walmart, we didn't build pipelines for anybody. We no, made it yeah. easy for people to build pipelines themselves. How can we build a, we don't know your quality process. Exactly. That pipeline Defines your quality process. All we can do is give you tools to make that as easy as possible. Absolutely. And the whole concept of, oh, that's the DevOps team building pipelines for somebody else is the most bankrupt uh, version of, you know, misunderstood DevOps that I can think of. Yep. It's like if you can think of anything more diametrically opposed to DevOps. It is, yeah. Yeah, especially (laughs) DevOps is... About everything the opposite of that. I gave a talk at QCon where I talked about the journey we went on uh, and how we replaced a scaled agile framework with engineering and, and logistics at Walmart. And I talked about this concept of you know owning the pipeline. I, and then I asked if anybody in the room was a DevOps engineer and, and built pipelines for people. And they, I had several people raise their hands. I said, please stop doing that. 
Yeah. That's what, <laughs> that's what I tell him. Knock it off. <laughs> Knock it off. We are just about out of time here. Um, man, it is so cool to get to hear these stories and kind of your journey. It's just really impressive. People don't read the liner notes, the show notes. So mm-hmm. if you want to... I know you have the the your blog. Yeah. Other other so oh and you have your DevHops DevHops podcast on YouTube. Sort of give us the rundown how people can go, get deeper into the world of Brian Finster. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I have a blog, the, the five minute DevOps blog on Medium. Uh, there's a reason why it's called that, but we don't have enough time to go into it. It's just uh, if, if if you go to blog.brianfinster.com, you'll get there or rant com will also get you there. Also, there's an open source project that we started at DevOps Enterprise Summit several years ago called minimumcd.org. And the the goal of that is to create, number one, a minimum set of, if you are doing these behaviors, this is the minimums to be doing continuous delivery. Um, if you do that, you will see these benefits. You won't see these benefits unless you're doing at least these behaviors. And then the minimum set of behaviors that exist in any context, air-gapped, cloud, you know, cat videos, metal and distribution centers. I don't care. These, you know, we, we worked on these really hard. Uh, Dave Farley was one of the early signatories on that. He thought it was good. Uh, we keep expanding on the knowledge base there, but it's just we learned a lot of hard lessons on different, different you know, the, the, the court core team from multiple organizations. All of us have learned hard lessons around CD. Um, we're trying to make it easy for other people. And just, I want to leave this with people again. You can't do continuous delivery unless you try. Trying to do continuous delivery will uncover so much organizational dysfunction, so many skill gaps, that if you just try to do it and just relentlessly fix those things, you will wind up better off even if you never get to real CD. That is also my experience. Brian, thank you very much. I do want to personally thank you. Like it was great hearing the story. I had not ever heard sort of the journey. So you sort of landed in the same place, uh, Alan and I are. um, And when it comes to the mentality around how to do development lifecycle management, um, but coming up through Dev and coming coming to that place is a unique perspective that, that I had not heard before. So thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for telling your story. Really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to share. It's uh, hopefully it helps somebody. Yeah, that, that's all we can hope for. Any one of our three listeners to grab a nugget and go, I can grow from that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. Yeah, I'm Brian. We'll see you next time. Watching on and I see you.